I know that some people are greatly attracted to movies that are full of depictions of blood and gore. I wonder how they make those depictions look so real. I'm curious to know if there's anything positive to gain from watching that kind of movie. I don't know the answers to those questions, but in this episode, 2223, Bill and Sean Johnston, the CG bros, will explain when they answer the commonly asked question, how is CGI used to create blood and gore? On the CG Bros CG Insider Podcast. Welcome to the CG Insider Podcast. And if this is your first time to the podcast, a special welcome to you. And if you're a regular listener, and you really need to be, it's most awesome to see you again. And in today's episode of the CG Insider Podcast, we'll be answering another great fan question submitted to our Ask Us Anything page by Jonathan R. from Fort Worth, Texas. And Jonathan asks us, how is CGI used to create blood and gore? And by the end of our discussion, you'll learn some very interesting things about the dark art of blood and gore effects using CGI. And you should come away with a better understanding of some of the techniques and technology behind creating some of the most gruesome gore effects out there. Yes, and be sure to stay to the end of the podcast uh, because we'll be spotlighting some of our new media producers and their short films that have earned them the esteemed position of uh, Video of the Month. I'm Bill Johnston, uh, one of your red-shirted hosts for this edition of the CG Insider Podcast. And I'm Sean Johnston, his brother. And uh, why don't we go ahead and start hacking away at Jonathan's question, Sean? And we are the CG Bros, by the way. Oh, I... Well, that's okay. Of course. Well, early on in the, uh, in the 1920s to 1930s, uh, in the early filmmaking of the 20th century, blood rarely accompanied on-screen violence. I don't know if you knew that, but it did. In fact, uh, they had a lot of censorship in the, in the early 30s um, because of the um, kind of started to introduce some of that stuff. Um, in, in fact, there's, a, there's a, a weird movie that I've never seen. I've heard about it called uh, Ashunandalu. I guess Ashunandalu. <laughs> That's uh, the French. Uh, I don't know what it means, but uh, that particular thing is there where they have a film where it suddenly cuts to... Uh, an eyeball being sliced open with a knife. And uh, at the time, that was uh, pretty gruesome. Um, and let me, let me show you this. It's really kind of creepy. But this yes, is. Yes, there, there, there wasn't uh, very much blood shown at all in the early days of cinema. No. It just, it just wasn't done. <laughs> no, in fact, I'm not going to show you the part at the very end. Well, maybe I will. Well, l- let's see. Uh, he's sharpening this blade. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's this particular scene is in black and white. Um, this was uh, actually 1929, I believe, is when this film came out. And uh, he actually ended up uh, cutting, they cut from her, this woman is actually getting her eye. The guy's taking a razor and he's, gonna, he's ho- opening her eye, almost like a clockwork orange. And he's going to drag it across her eyeball. And, uh, and then they cut and actually used, a, I guess, a dead calf's uh, eyeball to do this. But just thinking about it, where they, they, they go right across. Uh, the, in that next scene, you see the, the moon. And then the, the same time he goes ahead and, and moves to the, from left to right across the screen, he, um, it, shuts, it, it cuts to that scene where you see the, the eye, which is basically the moon. And then the clouds going across in the same direction, which is kind, kind of, of slicing the moon. That's, exactly. that's cool. Well, you know, yeah, in the 1930s, I mean, that was still, you know, cinema was still pretty new. And, you know, uh, people were starting to push the boundaries a little bit in movies like that and, and other, other movies uh, that were usually political or war-based. And, and uh, so in the 1930s, they got together and created the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America's uh, Society, and they came up with a production code, also 
known today as or known back then as the Hayes Code, uh, but basically forbid a lot of things uh, that you could show uh, in your movies, including uh, adultery and nudity. Um, criminal methods was was something that you couldn't show. Um, the depiction of violence in detail uh, was something you couldn't show. And it even had a murder clause. And the murder clause said, uh, you can't show the technique of murder. And if you do, it must be presented in a way that will not inspire imitation. Right. For number one. Number two was uh, you can't show brutal killings. Um, and you can't show them uh, in detail. And if you, if you do show a killing, you can't show it in detail. Um, and the third thing was you can't show revenge killings. Um, those the, they just didn't want to justify revenge and have people you know going out and <laughs> doing those things out there in the public and they and they strictly enforced it you know in 1934 and and that pretty much wiped out the existence of blood in in, in movies for for several years. It's interesting because in 1950 the uh, 1915 excuse me the ruling of, uh, by the Supreme Court said that movies were commerce and not art and so therefore wasn't protected by the First Amendment. So you're, you're right. They, that caused a bunch of uh, studios uh, confusion. A bunch of studios ended up, you know, tailoring their films for the whims of the, the uh, local boards. And you're right. I mean, that's, that's really cre- creepy about um, the fact that, um, um, you know, th- they allowed, I mean, for me anyway, I think that, I think the, um, seeing that, uh, that film with the, with the eye of the goat, I think even in that, that period of time, I can't imagine how those people must have felt by seeing something so graphic at that point. Sure. Well, even the dr- original Dracula uh, film. Uh, Nosferatu? Yes, yes. It had to, had to use blood uh, very carefully. Yes, they did. <laughs> Not, so. You didn't want to scare the audience too, too much. I mean, it was too real. I mean, the, the, the format, I mean, when you think about it, movies were, were a tremendous impact on people's uh, everyday lives and uh you know the, the the form of entertainment was just fresh and new and 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 impactful in more ways than, than we even you know we're, we're starting to, we, we know it today because we you know we've seen cell, advent of advent of cell phones and stuff and seeing the impact of that but tv had the same impact in movies before it yes and i i guess it really kind of changed right around the the, the 30s 40s right in that time period when people were coming men were coming back from uh, world war ii and the GIs were having, uh, you know, they wanted to represent their experiences that they were having during the war. And uh, a lot of journalists and movie cameras and things that uh, in, actually started incorporating a, a new level of uh, violence in, in, in movies. And in, in particular, which it's funny, going back and looking at these, these scenes, you're, you're saying, gosh, today's standards compared to back then were so uh, callous today compared to the way uh, people were back then. Um, this particular show, um, this movie in 1945 called The Pride of the Marines came out. They, um, they actually had a, a gunshot to the head of one of the, the characters. But you look at it and it's so tame and, and by today's standards. Um, I don't even think I'm going to really show it. So, um, you know, <laughs> and then of course, 1956, you had a lot of blood, right? In the movie, The Ten Commandments, the entire mm-hmm. Nile River. Rivers uh, of it, yeah. Yes, well, you know what's really interesting is 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 and you 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 touched on it, and I think it's a significant factor in, in the changing of the attitudes of, of the American public and for the tastes and, and and desires of what it is they wanted to see, the kind of stories they wanted to to see told. 
uh, on the screen, and that that included the realities of war. And you know, Vietnam was was it kind of got going as well, and you know, it really kind of brought, that, I think that really the Vietnam War really brought a lot of those tensions and a lot of those feelings to the to the to the surface. And and you, that that's really I think when when you got to I mean. You know that's when Sam, Sam Peckinpah really made his mark. Uh, uh, with uh, he's also known as Bloody Sam uh, because he, you know, he he created the breakthrough style of of graphically depicting violence in, in a really bloody way. And you know he he did it in slow motion and and uh, started with a, a film called The Wild Bunch, I think. Uh, where yep. he, he basically reinvented the action film that, as we know it today uh, with his with his style. Right, and there's also Bonnie and Clyde, 1967, and that that's. That, well, even before that, think about 1960, um, Psycho, which is kind of uh, probably, probably one of the first um, movie that smashed all the, the cinematic taboos at that time. You know, you mentioned nudity and some of the other stuff. Um, and of course, uh, showing a man and a woman in bed together, uh, taking, uh, you know, the, the viewers of the, of the movie into a bathroom, depicting uh, some other creepy stuff. And then, of course, the serious blood um, where they actually used, ended up using chocolate syrup. And in fact, they, I was reading, they, I believe they didn't want to show the movie in, um, in color because of the fact of, of the blood that they were going to use in, in the scenes. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know, when uh, as as the films started to get more bloody, and that and that, well, that's when color really came out too. And so you know, trying to find blood that really was the right color was a whole another uh, deal. But uh, you know, Peck and Paw, uh, just to kind of fin- finish up on him. Uh, was an ins- a pioneer uh, in that he not only did he um, use bigger squibs and more blood and stuff like that, he actually added uh, meat, uh, hamburger and stuff like that <laughs> into his squibs for more realism, um, as well as rigging the actors. And this was this was probably the most the most uh, dramatic change that he is he's known for. It was basically he rigs not only squibs to the front of people, but to the back of actors as well, to to that so you could visualize those those bullets uh, bursting, you know, through someone's body, you know, exiting out their backs, you know. It's interesting for, uh, that that particular thing, um, the special effects for that particular movie. Um, you're talking about squibs, and they said they um, for for the some of these scenes they had a little metal dishes in which they they put a little, just a little bit of of powder like gunpowder or envelope of blood, and then they they wired it, um, and then they had a. a each each one of those little metal dishes had a had a condom, believe it or not, and when that charge went off, it blew through the rubber and then released <laughs> that blood, which I thought was really interesting. Um, the other thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm going to show this. Uh, let me show the uh, the scene of Bonnie and Clyde. This is uh, one of the the main kind of probably the the first bloody thing that I had seen that, and this has had uh, Warren Beatty and uh, Faye Dunaway at the time. Uh, in, uh, starring in this particular one, where they're driving at the very end of the movie. So sorry if it's, you haven't seen this, it's a spoiler. So you probably should. Hey, y'all, slow down. My truck's broken. Yeah. <laughs> so hey. the farmer pulls him, he's got something wrong with his truck, pulls him over, and he just gets out all confident. Oh, what's up? And um, she's still fade down away. Um, Bonnie's still in the car and looking on. And then all of a sudden, he's looking at somebody coming down the road. Uh oh, he's, it's, it's just a regular person driving down the road, and he knows it's a setup. So this particular setup is there's guns in those trees. He dives under his, his uh, vehicle and all of a sudden he's like, uh-oh. And they both look and then bang, it just starts. And, Too late, honey. And they're shooting with 45s. Oh, my gosh. Tommy guns. And it would be a lot, probably a little bit more bloodier than this, but or a lot more bloody. 
But uh, this particular scene, I think, uh, was pretty gruesome for the time. I mean, wow, 1967. It definitely lacks the shredded flesh that we're, in, that we're enjoy seeing today. <laughs> it's true. Oh, that's a good one. So that, that's, a, that's a pretty cool scene. I like that one. That was neat. Yeah, they, they used the same technique, and, and, uh, which really made these movies famous because this, this was something that American audiences really hadn't, hadn't seen before. I mean, they used the Godfather was very, very bloody. Oh, big time. I think that was part of the reason that was so popular. And they, they, they used a, uh, uh, a new technique in The Godfather when they uh, went and they, were, they blew away James Caan during the ambush of Sonny Corleone on the toll bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, they used a thing called a mole device. Which it was basically a squib, you know, the one that you described, which basically was hidden. The new thing was it was hidden under, under underneath fake layers of skin, and so that when the squib went off, you could actually see the the skin, the torn open skin, you know, like I like I like, right? Um, and uh, yeah, they, and taxi driver as well. Uh, they they used uh, some of those same. Ta- they even employed a prosthetic to help uh, help uh, depict a hand being shot off. So that was that was the first time you've ever seen kind of body parts being blown off. Yes, and of, and of course seeing the Exorcist. Um. And and then of course Jaws, Jaws of course with uh, Quint being chewed up at mm-hmm. the end, and that actually did have some fleshy things hanging from its teeth. Remember that after it, after yeah, fleshy bits. <laughs> that was great. The bits intestine. Well, I don't know if you remember, Sean. We when we were kids, uh, we were always sneaking into R-rated movies uh, against mom and dad's wishes. And I, I remember going to see uh, George Romero's original Dawn of the Dead. You remember that? I do. Uh, I had never seen mo- blood in a movie like that before. Um, you know this. This guy has his not to be too graphic for the kids listening here. How'd you get into but, that uh, movie? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I I grew a mustache early on when I was twelve. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it was it was gruesome. I'd never seen stuff like that. It was shocking. Um, and and w- but one thing I did notice, and to get back with a, one of my earlier comments, was the, the color of the blood um, and how that's kind of changed over the years. So I kind of you know saw that, and then you see see you know some of those Peck and Paw westerns, and that's really bright red, kind of p- uh, paint colored red uh, blood. And and it's just really interesting to see how different directors use different colors of blood and to, to create different effects. Um, I know, thought that like was it's, like it's Sin City. Uh, I thought that was odd looking. It lo- it looked like red paint to me. It, it did, just... yeah, it did. Uh huh. But you know, um, it, thinking back to the 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 Boston bomber, if you ever see online when after it happened, they're trying to identify people. Um, those two two brothers who who use the pressure cookers. That if you look at some of the the the, uh, the 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 mayhem and the death and the and the maiming that went on there you can see there is a color of blood that does look like that um i i don't know how i guess maybe when it dries or it's something but it looked there's even conspiracies obviously on on the net about that being uh, totally planned and uh, just kind of like a, on a like a movie set but i don't know i mean i look back at there and there's there's it really looks um that blood like you were saying with that really weird shade of red is actually mm-hmm. there on the ground interesting Oh yeah, maybe because it's been absorbed and it's dried up and 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 oxidized or you know whatever. But there is a there is a, a, a secret formula. It's not so secret anymore, but it's it's kind of a standard formula that uses uh, these days anyway. Corn syrup, uh, water, food dye, and then they for opacity opaqueness they they throw in some zinc oxide, um, and that's that's usually what they use these days. Uh, well, I think a lot of the or sugar substitute because you know that brings a lot of insects around. You know, an interesting question about this whole thing about blood and gore is what people in the in the cinemas want to see, and I think around the 1978 uh, Romero, George Romero, uh, 
had uh, some early test screenings for Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And, and he said that uh, while the audience enjoyed the gore, they just felt that the, that the film was a little bit too long. So they did enjoy it. Um, and, and that's kind of an interesting thing, too, about us wanting to see that kind of stuff. You know, and then, then it's just kind of like, um, then they make the make it more gory, and then we like more gore, and it's kind of like we get desensitized, and we want to see more and more and more, almost like the action movies. I think you're you're referring to at one point. Yeah, well, I mean, we, you and I were talking about the Overton window and how, how and what that how that moves and how how people's perceptions and 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 desires and uh, uh, you know. Uh, how 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 they how it shifts and it just sh- it shifts as a block and so little by little it's kind of like the slippery slope kind of thing except it's this this window of, of beliefs and culture cultural attitudes uh, when you introduce you start introducing uh, you know things that change change that in a way moves the whole entire window of social of social consciousness and I think audiences you know to your point audiences has have, have come to expect. You know certain things when it comes to to gore and and blood, and I think it's been pushed you know over the top in so many different areas, including games. I mean, we, you know, we we work in the game industry, and and you know, I I love all the people in the game industry, and I love making games, and but you know, it, it, they are brutal. They're they're. I mean, look at Mortal Kombat. I mean, we we've been playing that for years, and it is graphic, and and you know, I when can't you play when, that game. When, when, well, you know, I'll tell you what, it's gotten pretty, so graphic and so gory that, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's almost not fun anymore. It's almost like you almost cringe every time you, I don't know, that's just us. But I think, I think that's just part of what we're talking about where it's become accepted, accepted uh, among just because of the sheer volume of the, it's been, been pushed at us uh, as a society. Uh, but that's a whole nother, you know, we've, we can talk about, you know, blood in Hollywood. And I think we've even touched on that. In a but yeah, we podcast, did. And I think, and I think it's because of the, 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 the factor of, of, you know, when you're driving past an accident, I mean, it's, it's intriguing that that whole thing's kind of intriguing in a way, you know, and it just makes you kind of stare um, because you're, you're getting that vicarious, not actually feeling the pain, but you're seeing what could possibly happen to you yourself. You know, yeah, dying. I, I agree. Well, here's here's a so how is CGI used to create blood and gore? We've kind of talked about the history of it. How how is uh, how is CGI used to create blood and gore these days? I've got a little little um, thing I'd like to see, and this is actually uh, by me. This is a, from a tutorial made by Peter France, and it's a it's a blender tutorial on how to create a, a head explosion, and he he did this himself, and it's pretty realistic. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive as far as Head explosions go. He did a great job. Um, Boy, the the, yeah, uh, the 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 viscousness of it is pretty crazy. Wow. And the eyes, oh, yeah, hanging eyes, and you can see the the skin sim and the muscle. And so this is basically what he did was he he went ahead and model. You basically start off as modeling a head. You know, you get your model created, and uh, you know you uh, kind of get it to placed and scaled. To, properly and he did some match moving uh, ahead of time as well to especially if your characters would be moving in the scene you're going to try to match it to with live action plate background uh, but uh, basically he just created a, a 3d model uh, of a head it was kind of a close proximity of his own head he just kind of rigged it with a couple bones here so that it could articulate uh, a little bit so i mean it, you, you could see in the initial thing where he kind of moves his head around and that's kind of you need you need bones and able to to accomplish that and so that's what he's basically sitting up here it's a, basically a simple three bone rig here um it's pretty straightforward and so uh he basically uh, positions it with the you know in his in his shot make sure that it kind of tracks uh, along with his footage and uh, 
then he starts the uh, the process of, of uh, applying uh, materials to the, the skull. So basically he takes a picture of his own head, his own face, maps it on there, uh, starts growing some hair, grooms that, uh, renders it out. And mm -hmm. here's basically, you can see the 3D model as, you know, on and off, uh, which he's overlaying onto his own face. And he's going to do a, uh, basically a skin sim now where he uh, is going to crack. Here's where the skin's going to split open when it explodes. And so he's going to turn that skull into basically a cloth simulation. Well, that looks... Which, uh, which he does right there. That looks great. <laughs> and wow. then you, of course, you apply materials to it. And, and uh, you know, he's uh, applying some bloody materials and kind of roughing it up a little bit to make it look gnarly and kind of gnarly a little bit like inside flesh. And he grabbed a skull model and painted it up, threw it in there, broke it up, you know, fracturing it. Uh, that's gonna, he's going to do a rigid body simulation on the skull because that those bones are going to be blown apart as well. And so there's uh, different simulations that happen when you're doing something like this. Cloth sims, rigid body sims, soft body sims, hair sims, like we said. Um, and it's pretty realistic. So you can see here, here's the final result where he just kind of pops it open. This is a play blast. This isn't the final result, composite result, but this is the simulated result. Pretty impressive. A lot of fun. You see the brains flopping around in there. <laughs> that's a lot great. of fun. And so here it is kind of just a test. He overlays it onto himself, but then he does a quick composite. Uh, just kind of brushes, airbrushes himself out, brings in his render, places on the scene, and the final result is something pretty impressive. And even for Blender, from, you know, but you can do a lot with Blender. I'm not, I'm not, don't get me wrong. You know what would have been great is if he had actually somebody actually chasing him. I think that would have been a great scene, like from a movie. I agree. I agree. And you know how, what kind of blood is used, and and how how much blood is used, and and it, whether you should use CGI blood or real blood. Uh, you know, people say, "Oh, I, since we can do it in CGI, let's do it in CGI." And there's there's a lot to be said for that because there's a lot of drawbacks in in you know traditional filmmaking when you actually use real blood. I mean, you have to. Uh, you know, it's hard to control how much blood is actually coming out, you know, of the wound or whatever. It, you know, it, it gets all over the place. You know, it requires costume changes and, you know, you have to test it and you have to do rehearsals. And sometimes you have to re, re, you know, clean up the whole set after each take. It's a, it's a real pain in the ass. Um, so, you know, depending on what your blood needs are, you know, maybe CGI is the way to go. But, um, you know, I, I will say that... Uh, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and I probably speak for a lot of people, at least I think I do, is, is I, I don't really like the CGI blood. The, uh, and here's some example. Let me show you. Um, I'll show you a quick example of uh, Mortal Kombat, for instance. We were talking about that. Um, here, here's an example of uh, uh, one of the death scenes of one of the characters. Um, and I... I, I I really don't like the. It just looks artificial. I mean, she she does a head a head plant into the buzz saw basically. Um, it just looks fake to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I prefer I prefer you know I prefer you know when you when you can see blood that comes out of uh, uh, unexpected places that really makes it for me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it looks natural. I mean, when, when it, it's almost too perfect. That's what I'm saying. I guess is the right. CGI blood it seems just it just looks too perfect. They squirt too of perfectly. Course. They, you know, and it's done so that you can see it. Where you know, real blood wounds. And, and remember those Japanese movies where they they cut to somebody's neck and they, you know they spurt like the Kill Bill movies. Remember that right. old style of Japanese? Right. I mean, that, that's the a whole top. thing we didn't really get into. But but it was definitely over the top and mm -hmm. and and uh, very highly stylized and, and stuff. So it really just depends on what it is you, you want. What, you know what, what you're going for. Yes, and one of my favorites uh, along the same lines as yours was was uh, the Immortals in 2011, uh, starring uh, Henry Cavill uh, and the Mickey Rourke as well. This particular thing is where the gods come down and they're they're attacking 
the um, the Titans, and I thought this is really a really cool uh, movie. Um, and the 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 gods are moving so quickly in these scenes. They call it uh, like photosonic uh, photosonic fight, where they're there's their normal speed and all of a sudden they then when they're smacking these guys it goes to super slow-mo of the of them falling apart and amazing they they do muscle simulations for here they do a lot of it was uh motion capture but they also did a bunch of keyframing in here and like you said for for vfx they used uh well they used motion builder for a lot of the the um the uh, motion capture and then they transferred that to maya they did a bunch of lighting for it. They did a bunch of uh, blood sims, like you're saying, where they had uh, you know 3D wounds. You can see right here the blood sims they used. Um, I believe they used uh, Houdini, um, and then of course uh, a lot of the they used Nuke for compositing. Um, they did a bunch of uh, rendering. Uh, uh, actually, the 2D uh, elements uh, were using Compton Nuke, and then uh, I guess they did some type of stereo conversion for this particular scene. But it's one of the most impressive scenes I've seen in any of the movies. Uh, this, the whole slow motion aspect of it, I think, was just kind of really cool. Um, and especially, I like to see monsters being destroyed. So that's that's my deal. I love seeing that because that way it's not as um, disturbing to me. But this this scene is really, really cool. And then, of course, uh, the splattering and then the 3D guts and the, the giblets and stuff just coming out kind of crazy. G giblets are always good, yes. <laughs> Oh, you don't know. No, I think, uh, well, we don't have the mailbag this uh, this podcast. We're going to be taking, taking a look at the video of the month, and I know it's uh, it's the time you've been waiting for. And, you know, we haven't done a video of the month in a while, so uh, we'll, well be sure to fit them in a little more. Let's regularly. do that. Um, All right. So this particular um, video of the month uh, was, um, let's see, we're spotlighting, which short film is this, Bill? <laughs> which one is this one? Oh, this is Geisel. Oh, it is Geisel. Okay, okay. Yeah, that one's directed by Emmanuel Shu and uh, graphic art by Stacy Tang. Sound effects by Julian Liao, and then that was an the animator. That's our rigging uh, Kelvin Shu and music by Michael uh, Vignola. Yeah, and this is a is a really great uh, short film, um, and uh, basically uh, it shows a, a guy landing on a, a planet. Uh, you don't know why he's landing there, and it's really nicely rendered and, and perfectly nicely lit. I mean, the character kind of looks rather generic, but you know the depth of field is really nice, and um, it's a really sentimental piece. And, and this, you know, it was Emmanuel uh, says this about this film. Uh, he says, "I never had closure with my mother. I literally did not have a chance to say goodbye. So this short film became my closure, a way for me to say my last goodbye to her." I'm so glad to be able to share this with you all, and it's for anyone who's lost someone they love. That's pretty. It was touching where he's planting that plant. And so he comes, you know, he's uh, on this desolate planet, and he's where it's hot and everything, and he's planting uh, a plant. It looks like a grave. Yeah, it looks almost like uh, Unreal's um, uh, rig that they have, but he's changed it a little bit. Yeah, the running's really nice. Looks great. And we can see the helmet of the fallen, his fallen comrade there, and uh, years later, he comes back. Ah, it's now a tree. Beautiful. Yeah, with be beautiful butterflies surrounding it. It's a beautiful scene. Just really touching, I thought. And I'm not surprised that it's a, it's a video of the month. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful scene. Wow. 
yeah, for being I was part say, of our uh, podcast today. Thank you. <laughs> we want we want to know we want you to know that we do them for just for you, and uh, we really had fun, especially on this one with the gore stuff, answering James' question: um, How is CGI used to create blood and gore? Um, we could have gone into a little bit more, but uh, we didn't have enough time. We will do a, pl- uh, a, t- a part two on this one, but we we do hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did and uh, learned a little bit of something along the way. If you did, please share it with some of your friends. Uh, click on that like button because it helps YouTube find other people like you who are interested in CGI and VFX related stuff, as well as a bunch of other things we talk about um, here on the CGI Insider podcast. And yes, and, and I was going to say yes. And by the way, uh, if you've got a subject that you'd like us to discuss in one of our podcasts, let us know and uh, drop by our website at cgbros.com to the About Us tab. And then up to the uh, Ask Us Anything drop down, just like Jonathan did. Uh, we're always looking to improve our podcast and like to know what you think as well. So please leave us a comment below. And if you do, uh, no guarantee, but we may even read it during one of our future podcasts. Um, oh, and just in case you didn't know, we bring you a new cutting edge edition of the CG Insider right here every week, where we discuss things having to do with computer graphics, CGI animation, digital VFX, and uh, other related and interesting topics as well. Well, what's our next topic? Um, let's see. We are going to talk about, uh, let's see, next week's podcast, we'll be answering another great fan question. How does CGI help us visualize data? Ah, that sounds interesting, too. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating subject for sure. Okay. See you next week. Well, that's it for today. We sure hope you've enjoyed the CG Bros answer to the question, how is CGI used to create blood and gore? Thanks for being with us. If you watched us on YouTube and you enjoyed the experience, please give us a thumbs up. Be sure to leave a comment too, because we might share it on a future podcast and give you a personal shout out by name. Also, please share the video with your friends on social media. If you're not yet following us on our channel, please hit the subscribe button. Subscribing is free. And ring the bell so you'll be notified when we post our next podcast. If you're listening to us on our audio-only version, please leave a comment. Oh, and uh, don't forget to tell all your friends that they, too, can enjoy the audio-only version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible.com, and Stitcher. If you're listening to us on Spotify, you can share the podcast to Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr with the share link. That's the circle with the three dots in it. Learn more about us by going to our website, thecgbros.com, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Instagram. And be sure not to miss the next episode when the CG Bros will answer the question, how does CGI help us visualize data? This has been episode 2223 of the CG Bros CG Insider Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>